First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Friends, if you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, would you turn with me to John chapter 19. Uh, I am so excited that this morning we are kicking off a three-week Easter teaching series called Your Life Story. Um, you know, uh, thinking about that word story and stories, uh, there, it just seems like this spring, uh, every story that was going on uh, has kind of been trumped and, and kind of sucked into this bigger story of the coronavirus that's been going on around the world. Uh, you think about all the sports stories that uh, were going on uh, when this uh, pandemic hit. I know uh, March Madness was about to begin for college basketball, and uh, we would be in the middle of that story right now. Of course, as a Florida State fan, you know, I have a theory of how that story was going to turn out, and it was going to end with Florida State you know, cutting down the nets and winning that championship. And now we'll never know how that story is going to end. And of course, it's not just sports stories. Uh, every story has been impacted by the coronavirus. Uh, worldwide economic stories have been impacted by it. Political uh, stories, uh, work stories, uh, school stories, the, the, the school story of every child from preschool all the way to college students. The story of this school year has been impacted by the coronavirus. And so really every little story that was going on, uh, again, has, has been kind of trumped by this bigger overarching story. If you think about it, if, if later on in our life we were to sit down and any one of us were to write an autobiography of our life story, it would have a coronavirus chapter in it, wouldn't it? From the spring of 2020, because that story has impacted every single one of our life stories. Uh, you know what I hope that we're going to discover over the next few weeks together in this teaching series is that there is another story uh, that is way bigger than the coronavirus story and way better than the coronavirus story that also has trumped every other story. In fact, what I would uh, contend is that the story that we're talking about in this series, the story of Easter, the story of Jesus is not just a story, but it's the story of all of human history. The story of the Son of God leaving heaven and coming to earth, becoming a man, dying for our sins on the cross and rising again on the third day. That story is the story that defines all of human history. All of the stories of our lives are swept up in that story of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so what I really hope that we're going to discover through this series is that your life story is the story of his life. Let me say that again. Your life story is the story of his life. We're going to see that for us as believers, that what Jesus Christ did, the story of Easter, changes everything for us. Because his story is our story, his resurrection is our resurrection. Now we're going to see next week that his crucifixion was our crucifixion. And we're going to see today that when Jesus Christ was on trial, that in a way we were too, because our life story is the story of his life. Now we're going to be in John chapter 19 and 20 over the three weeks of this 
teaching series. Today, as we jump into the very beginning of John 19, uh, we're jumping into a part of Jesus's trial. We're not looking at his whole trial, but just the final moments of that trial before he is sentenced to the cross. Let's read the first 16 verses of John 19 together. Follow along with me as I read. It says, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put on him a purple robe. And then they said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they struck him with their hands. Pilate then went out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Therefore, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, You take him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. Therefore, when Pilate heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes king speaks against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in the place that is called the pavement, but in Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now it was the preparation day of the Passover and about the sixth hour, and he said to the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. So as we walk through this story today, uh, there are actually two trials in this story that I want us to see. The first is the one that is plain for everybody to see, and that is the story of Jesus's trial. As I said a moment ago, this is not Jesus's entire trial. This is just a portion of it. In fact, when you read the four accounts of Jesus's life in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, we discover that Jesus actually had several trials in front of several different individuals uh, from the time that he was arrested in the garden the night before this and these final moments that he spends before Pontius Pilate. In fact, in the middle of the night, his first trial was before Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest and other Jewish religious leaders. And then they took him to Pilate the first time. And then after Pilate interrogated him, he shipped him off to Herod. And then Herod sent him back to Pilate. And here he's speaking with Pilate now for the second time. Now, Pilate actually wants to do everything he can to set Jesus free because he does not believe that Jesus has done anything that warrants being put to death. Uh, in John 18, the chapter right before this, uh, Pilate tries to use a tradition that uh, the Jewish community had 
at the time of their Passover feast where they would traditionally release one prisoner to the people. And Pilate wanted that one prisoner to be Jesus. Uh, but the crowds called out and demanded that another man, a murderer named Barabbas, would be freed instead. And so by the time we come to John chapter 19, Pilate is starting to get desperate. Pilate is running out of options. And so in verse 1, he orders that Jesus would be whipped or scourged, presumably because he thought that perhaps that might be enough uh, to appease or satisfy the crowds. And maybe after that, they would stop demanding that Jesus be put to death. We're going to find out uh, that it doesn't work out the way that Pilate thought it would. But this scourging or whipping that Pilate orders in verse 1 was in and of itself a terrible form of torture. Uh, what the Romans would typically do is they would take their victim, they would strip them down and tie them to a post or a pillar. And then the Roman soldiers would take an instrument, it had a wooden handle and leather strips, and at the end of those leather strips were little bits of metal and bone. And they would take turns whipping their victim, and as they did that, ribbons of flesh would be removed. And in fact, it was not uncommon for the victim of a Roman scourging to die just from the scourging alone. This is what our Savior went through for us even before he went to the cross. In verses 2 and 3, we find out that after the soldiers were done whipping Jesus, that uh, they essentially turned Jesus into their plaything. They began to mock him. Uh, they had heard that Jesus was called the king of the Jews. And so they thought, well, every king needs a crown. And so they went and fashioned a crown of thorns. Oftentimes we hear that and we think of little thorns from our rose bushes, but as a matter of fact, they used thorns that came from a date palm tree. They could have been as long as 12 inches in length. And you can imagine the pain as they press that crown of thorns upon Jesus' head. It says that they then put a purple coat, a coat that represented royalty in that purple color. And they began to mock him. They, they came up to him and took turns using an expression that they would have used to exalt Caesar when they said, Hail Caesar. But, but here they sarcastically said to Jesus, Hail the King of the Jews. And then they begin to beat him and to slap him. And in fact, the other gospel writers tell us they took a reed that had been in his hand as a make-believe scepter. And they took that reed out of his hand and began to hit him repeatedly on the head with it. Of course, what is so ironic about this is that this king that they were mocking as a make-believe king was not only a real king, but he was the very king of kings and the Lord of Lords. He was their king and he is our king. He is, in fact, the creator of all. And so they were beating him with hands that he had fashioned. They were mocking him with lips that he had formed. They were placing thorns upon his head that he himself had caused to grow. When the soldiers were done, Pilate then declared to the crowd for a second time that he found no fault in Jesus, which again begs the question, well, why then would he have him scourged? But as I said a moment ago, Pilate believed that after the crowd saw him scourged, that there was no way that they would continue to call out for him to be crucified. So in verse 5, Pilate brings Jesus out. He's still wearing that crown of thorns. He still has that purple robe on his shoulders. 
And Pilate points at him and calls out to the crowd, Behold the man. I think what Pilate meant by that was, was look at him. Look at how bloodied he is. Look at how pitiful he looks. This man could not be a threat to anybody. I think that's what Pilate intended to communicate. But of course, in another sense, what Pilate said was true. We all do need to behold the man. We need to look at him. And friend, I would encourage you to look at Jesus and to begin by looking at Jesus as he was that first Easter, bloodied and beaten, standing there with that purple robe on his shoulders and that crown of thorns on his head. And as you look at him, to ask yourself why this one who had the power to make the blind to see and even to raise the dead, why this one went through all of that for you and for me. You know, Pilate says something very similar down in verse 14 just before he gives the final sentence. He looks at Jesus again and he looks at the crowd and says, Behold your king. Again, this is something we need to take to heart. In fact, this is one of the things we do need to see on this day of Jesus' trial. Friend, see your king. Now, we do need to see him. We need to look at him and take it in that the king of kings, the one who made us, would leave heaven and come to earth. That he would go through all of this, that he would be falsely arrested, falsely condemned, and then executed upon that tree as we will see next week. We need to see our king and we need to understand that he did all of that because of God's great, great love that he has for us. You know, in the midst of basically 24 hours a day of coronavirus news coverage, I can't think of anything that we as believers need to do more in these days than behold our King. We need to keep our eyes fixed upon Him. We need to see Him standing there the morning of His trial before Pontius Pilate. We need to think about all that He went through and to remember that He went through all of that because of the love that he has for each and every one of us. And if our king loved us enough to go through all of that back then, then our king loves us even still. And we who know him are secure in our Savior's love. You know, when I read this story of Jesus' trial, there is something else that I want you to see as well. Friends, see that your king is in complete control. It may seem like the religious leaders are in control. It might seem to us like Pilate is in control. And yet, when you look closely, it's actually King Jesus who is totally calm, totally in control of the proceedings. He already knows what the outcome of this trial is going to be. He knows that it will end in his death upon the cross, but he is not running from that. Instead, he is deliberately walking towards the cross because that is the reason why he came, to die for you and to die for me. And Pilate does what Pilate does. The crowd does what the crowd does. And of course, every character in this story is still responsible for what they do. And yet God in his sovereignty is still bringing his perfect plan of salvation to pass. Well, if Pilate thought that the crowd was going to be more sympathetic to Jesus after seeing him scourged, he was sorely mistaken. 
Because in verse 6 in our text, they call out even louder, crucify him, crucify him. At this point, Pilate is starting to get a little bit frazzled because nothing that he is trying is working. And so kind of an exasperation, he calls out to them, well, I don't see any fault in him. So if you want to crucify him, then you go do it yourself. Even though he knows full well that the Jewish leaders did not have the authority to do that. That's why the Jewish leaders say in verse 7, we have a law and he has broken that law because he made himself out to be the son of God. Of course, Jesus didn't make himself out to be the son of God. Jesus was and is the son of God. But they didn't believe that or they wouldn't believe that. In verse 8, it says that Pilate now is getting more and more afraid. Uh, we know from Matthew's gospel that Pilate's wife had a dream or really rather a nightmare about Jesus. And she came to Pilate, her husband, and she tried to warn him to not have anything to do with this righteous, this just individual. And so Pilate has the words of his wife rattling around in his mind. Now he finds out that Jesus uh, has claimed to be the son of God. Now as a, as a Roman, he might have interpreted that statement, the son of God, a little bit differently than the Jewish leaders did. But, but nonetheless, Pilate is sitting there thinking, I I'm about to hurt this individual who is some type of a holy man who might have the power to call down a curse upon me. And so he goes to Jesus back in the praetorium and he asks Jesus, where are you from? He wants to know, well, what kind of an individual am I dealing with here? Where is he from? And, uh, and Jesus does not answer him. Now, in part, Jesus does not answer him because Jesus already had answered him in chapter 18 and Pilate does not deserve another answer. But Pilate is not used to people not answering him. And that's why he says to Jesus in verse 10 of our text, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And so Pilate is, is shocked by Jesus' silence. And I don't think Pilate was prepared for what Jesus says next. Look at verse 11, Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Well, what was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, Pilate, the only reason you have this authority over me is because God in heaven, my Father in heaven, has given it to you. Jesus already knows, again, how this trial is going to end, and he's not running from it. He's not trying to get Pilate to declare him innocent and to release him because he knows that his hour has come. He knows that the time for him to lay his life down for us has arrived. You know, back in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I have the authority to lay my life down and I have the authority to take my life back up again. In other words, no one took Jesus's life from him. Jesus voluntarily laid his life down to pay for our sins upon the cross. Pilate might be the judge here. Pilate might be the one who gives the final sentence here in verse 16 when he finally caves into his own fears and caves into the pressures of the crowd. But Pilate is ultimately not the one in control. Jesus is in control of his own trial. And aside from what that means for our salvation, which we'll talk about more in just a moment. I think it's worth mentioning that if Jesus is a king who 
was in complete control even of his own trial, then I believe Jesus is a king who is able to be in control of what is going on in our world right now. He is sovereign. He is in control. And we can rest in him. I said earlier that there were two trials in this story. We've already seen Jesus's trial. The other trial that we need to see here in this story is our own. We need to see our trial Uh, because, again, our life story is the story of his life. And so when Jesus was on trial, so were we. Uh, You know, the main two charges that were levied against Jesus uh, were the charges of blasphemy and treason. First, the religious leader said he was guilty of blasphemy. That's what they were talking about in verse 7 uh, when they said this to Pilate. We have a law, and according to our law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. Now, they didn't believe that Jesus was the son of God, and so they accused him of blasphemy, of, of claiming to be God when in their minds he was not. Now, the other charge that they levied against Jesus was the charge of treason. The other gospel writers bring this out even more. Uh, They knew that the Romans would be concerned about that, that here is this man who claims to be a king. Here is this man who speaks about a kingdom that he is bringing. Uh, They they knew that the Romans would not be fond of uh, of another king and another kingdom popping up. And so those were the two charges that they laid against Jesus, blasphemy and treason. Of course, we know that Jesus was guilty of neither of those charges, but the religious leaders were trying to get anything to stick that they could. You know, when you think about it, though, the Bible says that one day every single one of us is going to have a day in court, a day on trial, like the one that Jesus has here. In fact, uh, we're going to stand in trial on that day before the one who was on trial in this story. We're going to stand before Jesus. On judgment day, he will give a judgment of our lives. And, And as someone pointed out, really the same two charges that were laid against Jesus are the same two charges that really lie underneath all of our sin, blasphemy and treason. You know, if you think all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, book of Genesis, and the very first sin that ever was committed, Satan came to Eve and and said, God knows that in the day that you eat of the fruit of this tree that you will be like God. That was the temptation, to be like God. And really that lies underneath all of our sin, doesn't it? Every time we sin, what we're saying to God is, I don't want you to be my God. I want to be my own God. So not only are we guilty of the charge of blasphemy, we're also guilty of the charge of treason because God is our king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And we should submit our lives to him and to his authority and to his word. But none of us, myself included, certainly none of us have done that. We've all committed treason. We've all said, no, I want to be my own king. I want to live as the king of my own little kingdom. And so unlike Jesus, those charges of blasphemy and treason for each of us, we are guilty as charged. And so here's the deal. Were it not for what happened on the day of this trial, but were it not for the fact that Jesus, who even though he was innocent, was deemed by Pilate to be guilty, 
were it not for the fact that as we're going to see next week, Jesus would then go to a cross and be nailed there and pay for all of our sin, pay for our blasphemy, pay for our treason, were it not for the fact that Jesus went through all of that for us, if we were just to stand before God on that day of judgment without what Jesus did covering our sins, then we would be declared guilty as charged because we are guilty. And the Bible says that the consequences of that sin is eternal death in a place that the Bible calls hell. That is what every single one of us deserves because we are blasphemers and we are traitors against the Lord. And yet the good news that I want us to see, again, we've said there's two trials in this story. Our life was on trial when Jesus was on trial. But I want you to listen to this because he was sentenced to death for us. Our sentence can be changed from death to life. And the truth of the matter is, if you're listening to this and you are already a follower of Jesus Christ, you've put your faith in him, you've turned from your sins, you've asked him to come into your life and forgive you and to save you, the reality is for you, brother or sister, your sentence already has been changed from death to life. No longer does the sentence of death hang over your head because it has been paid for by the Lord. And now we have the promise of eternal Life. This is the good news of the Bible that guilty people like you and I can be forgiven because the innocent one was declared guilty when he was not. And he went to a cross and he died a death that he did not deserve to die in our place to pay for our sin. But friend, you know, for that to be true in your life, for your sentence to be changed from death to life. You have to take a personal step of faith. You have to put your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. Here's how Jesus said it earlier in the same book of John. In John chapter 5 verse 24, Jesus said this, very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Friend, has that ever happened in your life? Have you ever believed in Jesus? Have you yet crossed over from death to life? If you haven't, that can happen this very day if you'll put your faith and your trust in Jesus. You know, one of the most powerful moments, I think, in Jesus's trial is when Pilate comes out onto that area known as the pavement and he sits down on the judgment seat. He, he knows that uh, if he continues to try to set Jesus free, that he's going to have a riot on his hands. And so he sits down on that judgment seat. He's ready to, to give the sentence to Jesus to the cross. But before he does that, and in Matthew's gospel, there's this little extra detail there. This is what it says there. It says, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that a tumult was rising, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. Now, this is a picture of this scene in Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ. You know, I think it's just a, such a striking image of Pilate standing there, Pilate who, who knew that Jesus was innocent, 
He knew that what he was doing was wrong, and yet he thought that somehow if if he could uh, just put his hands down into the water and kind of symbolically wash his hands of what he was doing, that he would not bear the guilt of sentencing Jesus to die. But you and I know that that's not how it works. And no matter how many times he put his water, his hands down into the water that was in that bowl, they would not be any cleaner because that stain of guilt that was on his heart could not be washed away. And friends, neither can ours. You know, right now there's a lot of talk about washing our hands a lot, right, as we try to keep this plague from coming to us. And yet, spiritually speaking, the Bible says we already have a plague. We already have a plague of guilt and shame because of our sin against God. And that plague is not on our hands. That plague is on our hearts. And so we can wash our hands as much as we want to. We can wash them as hard as we want to, just like Pilate did. But it's not going to touch the plague that is on our hearts. Only faith in Jesus Christ can wash the plague of our sin away. You know, in some ways, everything that is happening in these days because of this coronavirus is really kind of just stripping away Um, you know, all of the things that we normally do. I think about our family's schedule. We normally would be up at the Little League baseball field almost every night this time of the year, but all of that has been taken away. And I know the same is true for every single one of you watching. Uh, Sports has been taken away. Uh, School has been taken away. For many people, work has been taken away. A lot of the distractions have been taken away, and it just really leaves us in a place where there's really, really no distractions and in a place where it's really just kind of us and and God. And I wonder, friend, in these strange days where, where everything that normally distracts us has been stripped away, I wonder if in these days God wants to work in your life to bring you to that place where you would surrender your life to the Lord Jesus and ask him to come in and to forgive you and to save you. What if that's what God wants to do in your life in these days. You know, last weekend, thousands and thousands of people made that step of faith, watching online services just like this one all over the nation. Thousands and thousands of people came to faith in Christ just last weekend. Friend, I wonder if this is your day. If God is speaking to you, and you know I need to take that step of faith, to ask him to come into my life, to be my Lord, and to be my Savior. I want to give you a chance to do that even right now. And so I want to ask you, wherever you are, wherever you're watching this from, I want to ask you right now, if you would just bow your head with me and close your eyes. And if this is what you want to say to God, would you just say something like this to God right now? Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have lived as my own God, as my own king. Father, I know I haven't been trying to live according to your word. Father, I know that that guilt and shame of my sin is is not something that I can take away. I can't wash my hands enough. Father, I can't do enough good things. I I can't go to church enough. Father, it's a stain that I don't have the power to cleanse. But God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that you sent your son. Thank you that he died on the cross, that he paid for my sin in full. Thank you that he rose again on the third day and that even right now he is alive. And so God, right now I surrender my life 
to you completely. God, I hold nothing back. I pray that you'd forgive me of all my sin. I pray that Jesus would come into my heart and reign as my King and my Lord from this day on. God, help me to live for you. Father, help this to be a turning point in my life that would change not only my life, but God, my eternity. Father, thank you for saving me, just like you promised. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Friend, if you prayed that prayer just now and and you meant it, that was an authentic decision and desire of your heart. I want you to know there's no more important decision that you'll ever make in your life uh, than the one that you just made. You've just become a part of the family of God. And I just hope that you'll share that with somebody, another Christian that you know, maybe somebody who's watching uh, right now with you. Just share that with them, that you just made that step of faith to surrender your life to Jesus. You know, we would also love to hear about that as well. And so I'd ask you just to send us a quick note to this address, believe at fbcmel.org. We'd love to just hear about that. We'd love to be able to celebrate uh, that step of faith in your life. And we'd love to be able to help you as you take your first steps on this lifelong journey of following Jesus as your Lord. Uh, Before uh, we sign off here, I did want to just share a a few announcements uh, with our church family. Again, just a reminder that all of our on-campus activities have been uh, canceled until such a time as we're able to uh, begin to have uh, worship services here again. And we're praying that that day uh, will come soon. Uh, If you haven't heard yet, uh, I do want to make you aware of something that we're releasing every day, uh, which is called Faith for the Family Room. These are uh, times of of devotion in in God's Word. They're times of worship. Uh, Different uh, ones of our pastors are coming each day uh, to record these, and uh, they're usually released sometime during the day. And we're just encouraging all of our families during this time uh, to, to take time as a family, gather uh, in your living room, put this on whatever the largest screen is that you have in your house, and just join in that time of worship. Uh, you know, my prayer is that maybe many of our families uh, who haven't up until this point had a regular time of, of family devotion time, uh, that this might be the beginning of a new habit and a new discipline in your family of every night having a time where you gather, where you read the word and where you pray. And may that start during this crazy coronavirus time as we watch these Faith for the Family Room episodes uh, each day. And so I encourage you to check that out. It's Monday through Friday. Uh, There'll be another one there uh, tomorrow, but you can also go back and watch the ones from this past week as well. Uh, Many of our church family have been asking, since we're not able to gather here together and and have a time of of giving, how can I still give to the Lord? How can I still worship in that way? How can I still support the ongoing ministries and mission of the church? Uh, You can either send that gift into the church office or you can go online to fbcmail.info forward slash giving. You know, I also know, though, that there might be some in our church family Uh, who are just hurting right now. Maybe you uh, have um, uh, been let go from your job and and you're just wondering, I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. Uh, Maybe you're in a place where there's other things that you need, just help getting out to the store, uh, getting some basic items. And so we've set up a a page here, a simple card. You'll go to fbcmail.info forward slash help. 
and there's an easy card where you can fill that out and just say, these are some ways that, that I need help right now, that my family is in need of help. Uh, there's another card on that site as well for those who are able to offer help. We've had many uh, calling our church saying, how can I help? Well, if you do us a favor and just go to that uh, page that you see on your screen, fill that out. Uh, there's different things you can check to say, I'm willing to help in these different ways. And uh, as a church family during these days, we want to just come alongside those who need help. And we want to help them uh, with the love of Christ and just love one another well um, during these days. Uh, another way that we can help uh, just with what's going on in our community is uh, we have been told that there's just a great need uh, for blood. And so I want to ask you to save the date of April 19th. It's three weeks away from this weekend. And on that day, we're going to have the big red bus out here in our uh, church parking lot. There'll be a way that you can uh, sign up for a time slot to come there. And, and so uh, stay tuned for more details about how you can help um, through that. Uh, we are just kind of taking it a week at a time here as, as we continue to just monitor uh, the situation with the coronavirus. We do want to go ahead and let you know that we will be online again at least next week uh, for our Palm Sunday services on April the 5th. And so hope to see you again at one of these uh, same times uh, next Sunday as we gather and we worship the Lord through these online services. And so again, thank you for being with us uh, for this special service of worship today. Uh, church family, I love you and I pray that you would have a great week this week on mission with King Jesus. First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God.